welcome to episode two of Let's Do a Crime Podcast. I'm Ryan, he, him. And I'm Mouse, they, them. I have a background in law enforcement, not a police officer, somewhat similar. And I am an artist. So Mouse. Yes. What do you know Mm -hmm. about the great maple syrup heist? I know that it's Canadian. (laughs) Of course. Um, and of course, and I know that it involves French people, so I'm very excited. <laughs> so I'm a bad Canadian. My French is horrible. Uh, I can't speak French well. Uh, I can't do the throat, back of the throat talking thing very well. So mm-hmm. I have terrible pronunciation. Mm-hmm. So. Mouse knows first most French. I know second most. <laughs> but we're both not good. Uh, I, yeah. So, here's a setup for, like, the, the hard-hitting movie. Mm-hmm. July 2012. Ooh. An inspector with the Federation Quebec of Quebec Maple Syrup Producers, which is properly called the Federation des <laughs> Producteurs Acericoles du Quebec. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 them, just just them. So uh-huh. I'm going to call them FPAC from now on. Yeah, the FPAC. The FPAC was conducting an inventory of the Maple Syrup Strategic Reserve. Mm-hmm. As he climbed a barrel, he almost fell. The oh, barrel shit. should have weighed 600 pounds, but it was empty. A complete audit found over 10,000 barrels empty or filled with water. Holy shit. Oh my god. <laughs> $18.7 million of syrup was missing. Ten, how am I, How do you steal 10,000 barrels of maple syrup? It's liquid. Yeah. So, like, this was all over the news for a little bit, but, like, mostly it's a joke. Yeah, because, like, I like I was a cognizant human being in 2012, and I do not remember this at all. Yeah, I remember hitting this a lot in the news a lot, but it was it was mostly, like, one-liners in the news. Like, ha-ha, what, like, what a Canadian crime. People stole maple syrup. Yeah, the only thing I know about, like, the, the really, that I know about, like, the maple syrup industry in Canada is that it's very lucrative and we have a maple syrup reserve. Yeah. I didn't know about this heist necessarily. So I fell down a rabbit hole researching this. I mm-hmm. thought this would be like a fun little, like I thought I was going to have like make a short episode. You thought you were going to have like a headliner where you have a teehee moment. <laughs> yeah. I fell down a rabbit hole here. Okay. So FPAC is a government sanctioned private organization. So they're not the government, but mm-hmm. like they're, they're kind of, like, given the seal approved by the government. The government gave them a big old thumbs up and said, hey, hey there, bud. Yeah. You can do it. They were founded in 1966 as a collective between several maple syrup producers to protect their production rights and to market the product. So FPAC doesn't make maple syrup. Mm-hmm. They're, like, the they're like the, the industry, like, standard controller. Like, they're, like, the industry union. Everyone, everyone's a member. Okay. Right? Yeah. So... Uh, over time, their influence has, has grown, mm-hmm. and they have become the de facto authority on maple syrup producers. Uh, most are most producers are part of FPAC's collective agreement and handle arbitration and disputes. So, like most like problems in the maple industry, maple syrup industry are handled by FPAC directly before it goes any higher to like government. Okay. By the 2000s, they were in control of the bulk distribution and account for 77 percent of the global supply of maple syrup. And Holy. 95% of the Canadian supply. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they, they are in charge. Yeah, they're, they're big maple syrup. And honestly, I kind of stand that for them. Yeah, uh, you might not after this. Oh, okay, never yeah. mind. So, <laughs> we don't stand big maple syrup. Well, it's actually, it's not that bad. Okay. But uh, uh, in 2000, the FPAC created the Maple Syrup Strategic Reserve. Yes, really. 
Mm-hmm. So if people don't know what that means. A strategic reserve is usually when a, a government, a country maintains, like holds back a certain amount of supplies for emergencies. So like if a war breaks out or like, like every country in the world right now maintains a oil strategic reserve. So like if oil dries up, they'll have like a couple months to operate the critical stuff before yeah. they have to figure out a new plan. Yeah, I, uh, maybe I jumped the gun by mentioning the reserve earlier. I didn't know it was strategic. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. just thought that it was, I don't know, backup product. I had no idea. Well, the reason for it is to protect the market from supply fluctuations. Because ah. the problem with maple syrup productions is, for those people who don't know, maple syrup is produced by tapping maple trees in, in the winter, uh, draining some syrup, draining from some sap from them, which doesn't kill the tree, but... Mm. It depends how hydrated the tree is, is how much sap you'll get. Yeah, you have to take really good care of the trees. Yeah, and so you boil that sap down. That's what that's what the syrup is. Yeah. So depending on weather conditions and and water conditions and all that, your production can fluctuate year to year. Mm-hmm. And of course, demand also fluctuates year to year. Right. So what would happen is that like some some years production would be really really good and producers would pump up tons of maple syrup in the market. Maple syrup goes bad. Like it's good for a couple of years, yeah, but it's it will perishable. go. Yeah, it will go bad eventually. It's not honey, but yeah. it it can stay good for several years if stored properly. Yeah, and so that all that syrup on the market would dump the price, mm-hmm. and it would sell for nothing. And in some years, there would be a really lean production, and they would have a hard time meeting quotas, and price would skyrocket. So the before FPEC was founded, this is why FPEC was founded basically, is because mm-hmm. to try to prevent this, and the reserve was. Found it specifically to smooth out these problems in the market. Okay. This all is so far making a lot of sense to me. Yeah. It mostly kind of reminds me of Stardew Valley with, <laughs> with farming. I mean, it like, literally is. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a product. It's a produce that you have to maintain careful conditions for, like with any crop. So, like, yeah, all of this makes a lot of sense. That was yeah, a very stupid thing I just e- said. Even though Maple Syrup Strategic Reserve is like, sounds kind of silly... When you look at any market, like, there's usually some kind of reserve. It's just yeah. not usually to the scale that this is. Yeah, and, of course, like, most markets fluctuate, as they should. Yeah. In 2008, it was depleted, like, completely, after several poor yield years. Uh-huh. So in 2011, after a season with a lot of excess production, they just had to expand the reserve. Okay. So the ex- uh, reserve was physically expanded to include a, a rented warehouse. This becomes important later. Uh-huh. Uh, so the maple syrup black market. The FPAC tightly controls production and quota and bulk uh, bulk distribution. There is some leeway for small-scale production and direct sales, but for the most part, if you make syrup in Canada, you have to follow their rules. Okay. Which, so, like, if there, it's, like, a high production year and a low demand year, they'll tell you to, like, drop your yield. They control how many trees you can tap at a time based on, like, the size of your farm and what the... What the, the um, um, market is right now. Okay, because I was wondering if, like, farmer's markets had the same, if, if they needed to be part of it as well. Yeah, there, there's there's some, some wiggle room for direct sales. Yeah. So, like, the, if you're buying from a farmer's market, it, it might be black market syrup. It probably isn't. You're probably fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. I mean, I am really curious as to, like, what constitutes black market syrup. Oh, you'll see. Okay. So, uh, the, FMAC, the FPAC also sets a rate for bulk distribution, so... The producers themselves have little control of price. Mm-hmm. So they, they basically set the rate based on like supply and demand and try to smooth it out as possible. So from what I've read, 
like a lot of farmers love this because it means that their returns are very consistent and year to year and if there is a bad year they're kind of protected well yeah it's guaranteed income of course people want to have like protections yeah and other and other farmers hate it because they have very little control over like their product and the prices and someone to expand their operations is not allowed to because the quotas won't allow it and of course i understand that too it's because it's their property they're the ones who are doing all of the hard work and the labor like i i understand yeah so and of course maple syrup is extremely valuable mm-hmm. so as a result a fairly sizable black market exists and is passionately defended by something like that like there are people who are like die hard i will go to jail for the rest of my life to pirate maple syrup <laughs> Okay. Oh my god, that's so Canadian! What the fuck? <laughs> Our drug cartel is maple syrup. Oh, oh yeah, and and yeah, most of the bla- uh, black market maple syrup comes from the same producers. They just intentionally are producing more than their quota and selling it on the side. So that's where most of it comes from. Yeah. There are a few straight up rebel producers that apparently like they, their whole operation is bootleg, and they are just like giving the finger to to FPAC. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of global demand, and the trees don't grow everywhere. Like, yeah. It's pretty much Canada, a little bit in Vermont. Um, a little bit in Japan. A little bit in Japan, but there's a different kind of maple tree, though. Yeah, it's a different breed. So, like, pretty much all the maple syrup in the world comes from Canada at some point. Is it? I'm so sorry, this is a tangent or a sidebar. Is it a breed of tree? I guess you could call them that. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> Species. Yeah, spe- species. Species, species of tree, yeah. The, the Japanese ones have these adorable little maple leaves. They're the same shape, but they're tiny, and they deep fry them and eat them. Yeah. I remember a Tumblr post where someone's like, well, why doesn't Canada do that? And then someone showed one of ours, which are about the size of a dinner plate, and they're yeah. like, because our leaves are this size. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be a nice little treat. It would be like a whole-ass meal Yeah. of leaf. Yeah, I my, my childhood uh, home had a maple tree on it, but it never grew big mm. enough to produce syrup because mm. we're, you know, per dust, so like... Right. They don't grow properly here. Yeah. Anyway, I'm so sorry. Continue. Yeah. Yeah. So, black market exists. There's not a whole lot of global supply. So, yeah, the source is limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, this ramped up for a bit in 2016. Like, when I was researching this, I kept finding stuff from 2016 where apparently, like, there was just, like, a mass protest against FPAC where, like, people were, like, pirating syrup as an act of protest. I mean, has FPAC, aside from controlling... Like, the quote, like, not controlling, but setting quotas. Like, has FPAC done something to deserve, like, so much irritation? Well, it's, it's very tight controls, and, and the fines for violating their, their quotas mm. are, are extreme. Ah, that's so, it, so the they, fines. So if, if there's anything that FPAC's doing wrong, it's probably that, like, like people, like, some of these, these black market syrup producers have, like, lost their houses and stuff from the fines. Holy they're, shit. They're, they're steep. Oh, yeah. my God. But uh, it's it's maple syrup. It's not that deep, you guys. Oh, it, it gets deep. Okay. So in in, in twenty sixteen, the prohibition like this, the twenty sixteen protest could be its own episode in itself. Mm-hmm. It was like prohibition era. Like I was reading articles where like they were moving product like cover of night. Uh, FPAC was like posting guards to suspected problem sugar shacks, which instantly where you produce maple syrup is called sugar shack, which yeah. is adorable. It, it's adorable. Yeah. Uh, they were investigating transactions. They were doing inspection raids. Like, oh it, my god! Like they were they were posting agents like hanging out at like crossroads in rural areas where they knew that the the black market traffickers would come through at some point. Like it seems to be winding down though. A, a lot of the fines and court fees have like started racking up, so a lot of the illegal production has ramped down. But for like four years there, there was just apparently this was like it, it was like nineteen twenties America, but maple syrup. Oh my 
I mean, that's not something that I expected. And yet somehow, given that this is Canada, it's exactly what I expected. Oh, yeah. And, like, the United States isn't complicit in like that. If you if you get illegal maple syrup across the border, they know it's illegal, then they'll like work with Canadian authorities to prosecute you. But it seems like there's not a lot of will to like look into stuff too hard because it is so lucrative. Yeah. So it's one of those things where like if you don't get caught directly, you're probably good. Well, also it's not a drug; it's maple syrup. It's maple syrup. Yeah. Like again, it's not that deep. <laughs> you would think it. You think it is worth it. So. Here's the heist. Mm-hmm. So one ambitious group of syrup bootleggers found an even more enticing source: the Strategic Reserve itself. Right, of course, because it's just barrels of syrup. Yeah, it's basically barrels of money. Yeah. So I, I think I looked up somewhere what a barrel of syrup cost in like current yeah. day, and it was like sixteen hundred dollars. Oh my god. Yeah. Like it's it's worth more than oil. Also, significantly. Imagine how many pancakes you could cover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, or one big pancake. <laughs> <laughs> Just one fucking pancake the size of Hudson's Bay. Oh my god. You'd feed so many people. <laughs> you need like a huge stone heat up to like cook that though. Oh yeah. And also like with that much. <laughs> like I know they're stealing it to make money. But just imagine if they were stealing it. Because they were just really enthusiastic about maple syrup. Oh, one guy was kind of there. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. He was me and I am him. <laughs> <laughs> so here's where I start getting into saying French names. Okay, I love, I'm ready. <laughs> so, so Sebastien Jutras, Jutra, 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 yeah, pulls up to a nondescript warehouse. His truck is loaded up with blue and white barrels. It's a common run from him. He ships the barrels to a sugar shack, one of one site own, own, of several owned by Richard uh, Vallier and his father Raymond. There, they drain the barrels, fill them with lake water, and ship them back to the reserve warehouse. Over time, they stop bothering to fill the barrels at all and just return them empty. And eventually, they just drain the barrels in the warehouse and leave them. <laughs> like, like, they start getting very sloppy with this. I mean, it makes sense, though, if, like, after quite a while, you haven't been caught. Like, why would you bother putting in the effort? You're just, you're wasting this, time. This doesn't go on as long as you think. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, from there, the syrup is repackaged and moved, some to New Brunswick, Ontario, or other provinces. Mm-hmm. Some goes across the border to Vermont. Mm-hmm. The buyer's... Typically have no idea they're buying stolen syrup. After all, why would they? Yeah. So, like, the the police investigated it and found that the people, the buyers, largely had no idea. So none of them were ever charged. Uh, there was an apparently complex network associate, uh, created to move and redistribute the syrup. Police arrested as many as 30 people during their investigation. Oh, my God. Uh, a lot of the blame falls to Etienne Saint-Pierre, a syrup reseller based in New Brunswick. So... This guy was taking a lot of it and watching it, making it legit kind of thing. Because yeah. he was legit reseller and he was just taking this as a new supplier. Mm-hmm. You might be wondering why they were able to come and go freely from the FPAC warehouse without drawing suspicion. I was wondering that, actually. Yeah. I was like, hey, wait a minute. How did they just do this? And that's where my boy Avic Caron comes in. Uh, Valier may be pegged as the mastermind of all this, but the idea came from Caron. Mm-hmm. Uh, when FPAC rented space in a warehouse owned by Caron's wife, he realized he had direct access to Maple Syrup Reserve and immediately began looking for an accomplice. Oh my god. He saw his opportunity. Yeah, like a, like according to all sources, like apparently he just, just as soon as he was like, he's like, there's maple syrup there. It's unknown if his wife was aware of this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as soon as he knew there was secret syrup there, he's like, cool. Yeah. Uh, there were other unrelated businesses in this warehouse, mm-hmm. so he did have legit reasons to access the warehouse. And if he was careful, they could come and go when no one suspected a thing. 
So, like, I guess his, his wife owned, like, the whole compound, and this okay. was just one warehouse in the compound being rented. Okay. Which is how he was able to move to and from it without drawing too much suspicion. Yeah, because I was also thinking, if it's, like, a single warehouse and, like, there's other businesses in it, it wouldn't be as easy to point out exactly who did it because, like, businesses could just come and go whenever. But, like, if it's specifically single buildings that each are dedicated to a business, that makes it, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Security wasn't tight at this warehouse. Of course not. Sure is now. Yeah, I bet. So I couldn't tell for sure, but from what I can tell, just by what I was reading and like looking at pictures of the warehouse like that, I think this is just a storage site. Like mm. there's, there would probably only be FPAC employees here when they were actively putting stuff in or taking it out. Yeah. So I think this is how they got away with it is because there was no one actually sitting there watching it. Uh, now FPAC bought the whole building. It's just a maple syrup preserve. There's a fence around it. There's on, there's 24 hour security. Yeah. It, like of it, course. It's secure now. Yeah. So, uh, Caron did uh, secure accuse an FPAC employee of being a real insider, but that person was investigated, and never charged. And I don't see why they would be necessary. Yeah. So it mostly sounds like he was being like, well, j'accuse. Yeah. How do how do we know it wasn't you? Yeah, basically. I think it was basically... Because I guess there was one FPAC employee who kind of was aware of the scheme, but, like, probably mm-hmm. not actually in on it. Yeah. Um, around this time, he also got convicted of an unrelated insurance fraud. So I would say what... what take what he okay. says with a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like, when he got convicted, he lost his shit. So, like, he pled guilty. Yeah. So he pled guilty and was fine. But then he was sentenced. And I said FPAC's fines are usually really harsh. Mm-hmm. Uh... He lost his shit and apparently fought the bailiff. Like, physically? Yeah, like, he tried to fist fight his way out of court. Oh my god! It's maple syrup, you guys! Well, he went to jail for quite a while. Yeah, but it's... it's Oh my god, it's maple syrup. The yeah. crux of this is that it's maple syrup. <laughs> my god. How long was he in jail for? Uh, I get to that later. Oh, okay, I'm so sorry. Yeah. A mutual friend in introducing the Valier, who is already known for skirting FPAC regulations and engaging in some black market and gray market maple syrup trade. So the difference between black market and gray market, black market is, like, definitely illegal. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to do it. Gray market is, like, operating in, like, the edges of, of legality where, like, no one's really sure. So, like, used items usually are technically gray market because you're never really sure, like, you know, if the person had the rights to sell it. And so, oh, like my tablet that got stolen. Yeah. That was probably resold. Yeah, so, like, like if it's resold in a way that, like, yeah, this is definitely stolen, that's black market. But if it's, like... If the guy sells it to a pawn shop and then yeah. the pawn shop sells it to them, that's a gray market transaction. Oh, that's 100% what I imagine happened. Yeah, and that also explains the legality of pawn shops. And also, like, big thing in car sales, there's a lot of, lot of things where, like, you're never quite sure if all the paperwork's accurate, even if, like, no crime has been committed here, right. but, like, it's not fully legit. That's right. what gray market is. Do you think that there's a black market for rats? Probably. There's black market for everything. I'm definitely not interested. Black uh, rats are illegal, Alberta. You can't have them as pets. It's stupid. It is. It is kind of stupid. That's the crime I'm going to commit. Is I'm going to have a pet rat. Yeah, anyway, yes, sorry. Yes, ad- admit a crime to a pseudocop. No. <laughs> on, on um, but ex- except I definitely 100% won't do that. Yes. Because I'm a good boy. So, Valier had previously lost his home after being fined $1.8 million through illegal syrup distribution. Uh, and would later say that the heist was partially for profit and partially for revenge. Revenge. Yeah. So Do tell. So he he was like a black market syrup guy. Mm-hmm. Like he he had a I think he had a small patch that he was tapping and not going through FPAC for, which is what caused all this. Okay. He 
it seems like his political beliefs is that like FPAC should not be involved at all. Get the fuck out of my life. Blah blah. Oh, like free market. Yeah. Okay. And so he. He was always going to do black market syrup stuff. So, like, obviously, it's like, he's like, yeah, this is what I do for money. It's lucrative kind of thing. I'm always going to do. But when he heard that it was FPAC he'd be stealing from, mm. like, uh, I get the impression from this guy that if, if he was stealing from some other farmer, he probably wouldn't have done it. Right? Because he, he was making the argument that they steal from him, so he's going to steal back from them. Right. So, if this was just, like, some farmer's reserve, he probably would not have done this. But knowing it was FPAC itself, it was, like, a, a chance to, to stick it to him. Right? Yeah, and of course we all know that stealing from corporations is good, actually. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm not going to go kidding. there. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not endorsing theft. It's not, not, <laughs> it's not like he was stealing a loaf of bread to feel a fetus dying from. No, like I was, know. I'm not endorsing theft. That was a joke. But this, so yeah, this was like, obviously he, he admitted it. Like, yeah, the profit motive was there, but like, this was also like about like getting one, getting them back. He is the main character, and F Pack is the big villain. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they actually are making a movie about this. There's a couple like TV shows of, like with episodes about this, but I'm pretty sure they're actually making are, are making a movie about this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Valier at first thought he was being set up by F Pack because this guy shows up. He's like, he's like, I have access to the warehouses. He's like, I've been convicted by them before. This sounds like a trap. Yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, and of course, like with Mr. Big, which we will talk about eventually yeah like i can understand someone being like i'm not falling for this i mean even without mr big i'd be like be like this sounds like a setup this sounds like a sting yeah he does need to be set up but eventually they has a scheme and made millions doing so uh maple syrup sells at this time like that 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 this heist happened around 1200 a barrel i think it's up to 1600 now oh man they were still over ten thousand barrels right for 60 percent of the reserve supply oh my god they stole most of the reserve they didn't even like did they go? They were so blatant about it. Oh yeah, like they they this whole thing took course in less than a year. Oh okay, cause yeah, when I said before about like all of the hard work and stuff, I thought this was like like a decade or something. Like over years, they were like they never check. We're just going to start being lazy. One year? Yeah, well, see, because FPAC, I guess, did a yearly audit of their of their strategic reserve. Okay. So that's what, like, they, they basically started right after one audit, and, like, the investigation started once the next audit happened. They literally started as soon as they possibly could. Also, like, I think they may have started the audit a little bit early, because they didn't know some of the barrels were getting rusty, mm. and, like, they shouldn't be getting rusty because there shouldn't be, like, water. Like, maple syrup is... is Mostly sugar, so it actually pulls water out of the air. Right. So they're like, this is kind of weird. And that's when they start the inspection. And they're like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's why you can store it in barrels. <laughs> According to these guys, they had, um, uh, they were actually, they actually watched on TV when the news first broke. And they're like, party's over, boys. Oh, my God. But they didn't think they were getting caught. They were just kind of like, okay, I guess we don't go back there again. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. but yeah, they, they got caught. And like, I, I would really love to speak to the cops who had to start this investigation. Mm-hmm. What the fuck do you start with this? Like, there's no cameras, like, you know. You start with the barrels. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, like. You you fingerprint the barrels. Well, I imagine what they probably did is they, they probably looked into who had access and okay. then made this connection because, like, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure Caron was probably, like, starting to associate with Valier because they're now, like, Associates, right? They're crime buds. And like this, they had this whole operation going where, like, now of course these, like, seven men got charged with this, but mm-hmm. there were definitely much more people involved in this. Right. Apparently, they actually had a complex uh, network of like burner cell phones, where like 
a number would be assigned to a letter and then they would use that for a period of time and burn the phone and to arrange like their their drop-offs like that because right because didn't you say that like 30 people got arrested yeah, yeah 30 people were arrested during the course of the investigation yeah that, that, there's got to be more but, because it's a web well yeah and and most of them weren't charged but like you also come out with these investigations like if you if if one of the people you arrest is like is like a low-level distributor i don't really care about getting this guy to go to jail if he gives me information on someone above him mm-hmm. i will make a deal with him to let him go for that information that's how these things go yeah so just because they weren't charged doesn't mean they weren't involved but it means they're like either they weren't involved or their role was pretty small or the police couldn't actually link them uh, conclusively to it right but these guys were like the main guys so, so you had the guy who's doing the trucking you had the guys who owned the sugar shacks the guy who had access to the warehouse and then like a couple of guys who were fencing it but yeah, they had, they had a complex network of like burner phones, and they they would pick different times of day because like obviously the trucker could go into the compound whenever he wanted because mm-hmm. he would go during, during normal business hours when other trucks were there. But when they were distributing the syrup across uh, lines from these sugar shacks, which are known to be problems by FPAC, they'd be careful about that. And one of the articles I read suggested that part of the reason they stopped filling with water is because where they were getting the water from was a lake. And in the winter, it froze over to the point where they couldn't get water out of it. Oh. So they just decided to, to pare down the operation. Okay. I just assumed they were getting sloppy, but that does make sense. Especially since in Canada, winter is like anywhere from six to eight months. Plus, with the amount of syrup they stole, I don't think filling the bars with water would have helped much any longer. Yeah. Because like the way inspections like this usually go is that you go take an inventory of how many you have. You, they're organized in like rows and stuff like that and then you'll you'll take samples from random ones to make sure it hasn't spoiled or whatever mm-hmm. that, and so you wouldn't sample everything but if they stole 60% of the inventory I guarantee any inspection is going to hit one of their barrels oh of course it's over half so like if they had a, so they probably realized that too once once they realized how much they had already taken they probably got to a point where they're like well if they check any of the barrels they're gonna, we're going to get caught anyway so why bother with the probably time consuming refilling of the barrels mm-hmm. Uh, do, 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 do. So this so took over the course of the year. It didn't take long to get caught, though. In July 2012, the theft was discovered. By October, the police had located a supply of maple syrup. They were able to link to the, to the, the thefts. They also used lie detectors on some of the distributors, cause like, which I think is stupid. Well, yeah, because polygraph tests have been proven to be not effective at all. Yeah, and it's also not court admissible. Yeah. So this is one thing that, like, I... Now, most of this happened in Quebec, and Quebec has... Weird different laws that, like, don't always line up with... So my knowledge of law might not apply super well to them. Mm-hmm. But from what I know of, like, of like evidence collection is if you do something that is a violation of someone's rights and then you get evidence from that and then you get evidence from that, all that evidence is invalid. Yeah. Because it started with a rights violation. I don't know if a lie detector would necessarily be a rights violation, but eh, I still wouldn't use that as an investigative tool. Mm-hmm. But I guess they just kind of like quizzed all the all the different distributors and gave them lie detectors. Um, but by December, they started making arrests. So it probably wasn't too hard to to figure out that like the like Etienne, who was the one of the main distributors, mm-hmm. he also had run-ins with FPAC before because he he wasn't a producer, so he wasn't like subject to their regulations. Right. But he like was buying from other black market people. And was butting up against uh, their like FPAC for his quotas and stuff. So he was a known a known figure. Yeah. So he's he's already on the radar. So I yeah. I imagine that's probably why. And it, of course, it's like 
you can be like, okay, well, Valier knows Etienne, and and they and they know Caron. You know, it, 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 that's how you build these kind of investigative webs. Yeah. From July to December, they're making a wrap. That's a fast investigation. Yeah, that's pretty quick, especially since like again, there were no cameras. Like they didn't really have anything to go on. Yeah, so I think they must have made a link pretty quickly. Yeah. Now, this was a huge investigation, though. It involved uh, Sûreté du Québec, which is Quebec Public Security, which is basically their provincial police. Uh-huh. RCMP, Ontario Provincial Police, U.S. Customs and Border Patrol, and probably more. Because, like, obviously mm-hmm. some of this ended up in the States. Well, yeah. And so, of course, they would they would want to be part of the investigation. Yeah. And uh, honestly, like, if if this touched my jurisdiction and there was a chance to be invested, I'd be like, oh, like, hell yeah, I'll investigate the maple syrup thing. That's sweet. <laughs> Sweet. No Sweet. pun intended. Oh, totally intended. <laughs> <laughs> so the court cases were mostly settled in 2016 and 2017. Mm. Uh, Richard Vallier was sentenced to eight years and $9.4 million. Oh, wow. So I'm going to talk about this fine a little bit because he was signed this $9.4 million. He appealed it. It was dropped to $1 million because he prov- he apparently provided evidence that he made a million dollars. But then uh, Superior Court reversed that and put it back to $9.4 million. Because you're supposed to calculate the fines based on how much of the victim's stuff is not recoverable mm-hmm. and not how much you made. So that, like, basically to make it so, like, the crime will always necessarily pay less than you'll be fined for it. Okay. So the $9.4 million is, is based on the value of the syrup they couldn't recover. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Raymond, his father, was sentenced to two years less a day, followed by probation. As I said before, the two years thing for federal, provincial. Yeah. So... Uh, he was just an accomplice, and I guess I guess he was helping out with the operation, but he wasn't that much of a major player, so they gave him a lesser sentence. Okay, I mean that's it's it's bad that he was involved, but I do appreciate that he was given like a significantly reduced sentence. Yeah, because if he didn't really do much, it's not fair to charge him with the same amount of time. Yeah, so Etienne Saint Pierre got the same plus an eight hundred fifty thousand dollar fine. Mm-hmm. So he got two years less a day plus eight hundred fifty thousand dollar fine. He was the distributor, so he probably did make significant money on this. Uh, Sebastian Jutra got eight months, and he's a driver. So of these major players, he's kind of got less involvement. Didn't yeah. get any fine. He got eight months. I guess he was paid straight. Like, they paid him almost like an employee, but, like, more. Yeah. Um, so he wasn't held with the damage, I don't think. And Evic Caron got five years and $1.2 Okay. Apparently, when the verdict was handed down, he lost in the courtroom and fought the guard like this. He got less time and less of a fine. Yeah, but he also didn't make hardly any money. But the the reason why he got so much is because of the fact that it was his breach of trust that made this possible. Well, yeah, he was like the mastermind or whatever. Well, he was the mastermind, but... Because well, Bellier know. was a mastermind. But yeah. Caron, like, if, if he wasn't giving them free access to the warehouse, this couldn't have happened. Yeah. So that that's what that's why his was so hard. But the reason why he freaked out is because his lawyers convinced him to plead guilty because the evidence against him was incontrovertible. Like mm-hmm. the only other person who could possibly have been doing this is his wife. And yeah. as far as I can tell, she wasn't super aware of it. But given that her husband also did insurance fraud, I don't really believe her. Um, yeah. And and given also that the that FPAC bought the whole building like out, so. Well, obviously, no trust there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, because it was his breach, like, breach of trust, that it basically it's, like, to scare other people from doing this again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then he tried to claim after the verdict was laid down that, like, he was tricked into pleading guilty, and he thought he was going to get a slap on the wrist, and that's and then he tried to make a break for it in the courtroom. <laughs> tried to fist fight the bailiff. 
Yeah. And which is not a good plan. No, never. <laughs> uh, allegedly, and this is like a little side tidbit. Allegedly, some of the accomplices got sick from eating improperly handled syrup. Uh, this is supported by the fact that some of the syrup recovered had to be disposed of. It wasn't fit for con- consumption. Okay. Because I guess the way maple syrup is like packaged and distributed is that like it's pasteurized. Yeah. And packaged like w- like well hot to like killing bacteria. And obviously by transferring it, they're breaking the seal. Right. They did say that they they reboiled the syrup when they were repackaging it, and I believe them because a lot of, because most of it was was fine. Mm-hmm. But you know, given that they're stealing it and like time is of the expedience, I imagine that their processes weren't the like were kind of sloppy. Yeah. Well, also, it is possible that some of those barrels may have expired in the warehouse. I mean, I'm not. I mean, it's possible. I I would hope that they would they would have a plan. To deal with that. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not giving these guys, like, any credit, though. I do think that, like, because time is of the essence, they may have gotten sloppy. They may also have just been, like, tasted it and been, like, good enough. And then just rebottled stuff. Yeah, I couldn't find much information about these guys after the conviction. But I do know that that, uh, that Richard Vallier, like, was unapologetic. Of Complete, course. Completely unapologetic. <laughs> yeah. I definitely get the impression that, like, you know, he... He would have done it again if he had a chance. He strikes me as the kind of person who is like, this is my lifelong enemy. Well, yeah, he he was said in the media that he doesn't think it's stealing because you can't steal from thieves. Mm, not true, but okay. Yeah, so that's the Great Maple Syrup Heist. <laughs> which is very funny, and I was surprised at like how in-depth the black market on maple syrup gets. Yeah, like I wasn't <laughs> expecting that at all. Like, to, in my mind, the maple syrup industry is always, like, a cottage industry. Yeah. But I, I guess because Canada is, like, the only source of it and global demand has been increasing. Because, mm-hmm. like, it's not long, it's not just, like, a, a thing you put on, on pancakes anymore. It's an ingredient in a lot of sauces. Yeah. It's, like, it's ingredient in a lot of baking. Like, hell, you can, you can get a kind of wine made from maple syrup. Like, it's called Acer Glen. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, maple syrup is very useful. Um, and also, I'm sorry, Americans, but corn syrup just can't compare. Um, it's a completely different flavor. They they do produce some maple syrup in Vermont. Yes, but I'm not saying anything about their maple syrup. I'm saying corn syrup. Yeah, yeah. I will say that of, of the the monopoly that the FPAC has on maple syrup, it is softening a bit because America has increased their production of maple syrup, which is kind of challenging to market a bit. Obviously, we still have it on lockdown. Mm-hmm. But as a result of that, the FPAC in the last few years has been softening the regulations a little bit to give the producers a little bit more ability to market themselves. Yeah. But it's still, it, it's pretty much a, a one-party system here. Well, also, like, no industry should be ruled or led by one company. Yeah. Looking at you, entertainment industry and your fucking Disney conglomerate. Yeah. So <laughs> that's where we'll end out. All right. Thanks for listening. I don't have any site yet for this because we haven't put it up yet Mm -mm. so in future episodes i'll talk about that at the end but for now yeah bye bye don't steal maple syrup bye